You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not seem to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. Am I discontent with what belongs to me? Do I crave something better, different, or more than what God has given me? Do I seek to satisfy the desires and appetites of my flesh at the expense of the well-being of others? Do I resent or envy those who have what I need? Please be seated. Jacob and Esau were brothers. Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. Esau was the firstborn, and so he had the double portion of inheritance in the family properties. He was also supposed to serve as a, a spiritual secondary head under the guidance and under the headship of his father, Isaac. Jacob was the second born. He did not have any of those things. He was not given any of those things, having been second born. However, he was given a promise. He was given a promise by the Lord through his mother, Rebecca. The Lord had appeared to Rebecca to describe to her the, the conflict that was going on already in her womb as the boys struggled with each other, even there. And she wondered what all of that meant. The Lord came to her and said, well, you have two nations in your womb, Esau and Jacob. And the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger, the Lord said. It was going to be through the line of Jacob that the Messiah was going to come. It was going to be through the line of Jacob that Christmas was going to happen. Jesus was going to be born, our Savior, our Lord. Jacob was going to be his great, 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 going way, 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 way back, grandfather. All of those begats. Remember all those begats? Those begats. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Esau is not in the line. But he was the firstborn in the family. He was given the responsibility to take care of all of those things that had to do with keeping the household in order and ensuring the proper inheritance of all those things that were both temporal and spiritual for the sake of the family. Jacob was given a promise. He was given a promise that he was to be the ancestor of our Lord and that he should keep that promise alive in his family for the sake of the continuing witness of God's work in history and God's work eventually in our Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of all nations. Jacob to take up the post as missionary. Now think of it in this way too. For example, for example, our Lord gives his mother Mary into the hands of John, the disciple at the crucifixion. 
because his brother James has got other work to do. His other brothers had also other work to do. John was given the responsibility of caring for Mary. Esau had the responsibility that he had, and Jacob had the responsibility he had. However, the next story that we have of Jacob and Esau is each of them despising what they have and longing for what they do not. Esau wants to be free, to wander in the woods, to hunt game, and to be a man of the countryside apart from the family. And so he despises all of those responsibilities as well as all of those privileges and all of the gifts that the Lord has stored up for him in his rightful place as head of the household once his father would, would die. He despises it to the extent that when Jacob, who despises his own role in the family and wants what Esau has, sees him coming in from the field, hungry, even famished to the point of starving. Now, was he really starving? I mean, was his flesh actually being eaten away from the inside? He was hungry. Okay. And Jacob, being a good cook, has got a pot of stew ready for him. But he won't give him the stew until Esau gives him the authority of the firstborn. What a crew we have here in Genesis. Each of them, despising the roles that the Lord had given them, each of them longing for something that they have not been given. Sounds like don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, folks. That's what ought not to be done. You've got every other tree to eat from. Have fun with those. They're great. They taste fantastic. Filled to the full. But worship me by hearing my word and not doing the one thing that I tell you not to do and do all of the other things that I told you to do. Of course, when we hear that, Esau and Jacob. So Jacob takes over the firstborn role, except for the fact that now, now his brother hates him and is threatening to kill him. So, in response to that, does Jacob repent? No, of course not. Why would he want to do that? No, he and his mother, Rebecca, having heard what God had promised Jacob, feel like it's time to move things along a little bit. Now, every time uh, we try to help God out with fulfilling his promises, we always get it wrong. We're really bad at this. We're, in fact, we're quite terrible with this. Take a look at Abraham's track record with this. When it came time to wait on the Lord for a child, instead of going into Sarah, he goes into Hagar to try to speed things along. Oh, yes, a child was born, but that's not the child of promise. 
wait on the Lord. Well, Rebecca and Jacob haven't learned this lesson, and so they decide that they're going to send Esau on a snipe hunt, and while he's away, they're going to dress Jacob up like Esau and have him go into Isaac's tent and get the, the inheritance blessing, even on top of being firstborn, the blessing that would go to Esau, Jacob needs that too. Now, it's not enough that God had promised, you see. You see the discontent. It is not enough that God had promised that Jacob would be the ancestor of the Messiah. It's not enough. I've got to have it all. I've got to have it all right now on my timeline. Regardless of what the Lord might have in mind, I've got to have what I want. And so he goes in and he lies to his father, to his face, his blind father. He lies to him. And when Isaac, who smells a rat, along with the overflowing perfumes of Esau's clothing, how is it that you receive the game, the, the deer that you prepared so quickly? Usually it takes you a good long time to get that deer. How, how is it that you got it so quickly? The Lord brought it to me. Oh, my goodness. Now let's bring God into the lie. As God was my witness. Oh, Jacob is a peach. What a guy. You see how the Lord picks such people to do his will? <laughs> oh, my Discontent, pulling the Lord himself into his own lie. And what does Isaac do? He does what he thinks he's supposed to do. He blesses Jacob in Esau's name. To the point where Esau comes home, finally having received the deer that the Lord did provide, fully ready for his father to eat of the venison that he so enjoys and the blessing is gone. But where does it begin? It begins in the covetousness. It begins in the discontent. It believes in the unthankfulness for what has been given. Each of them had been given what the Lord had decided and had provided. There was no confusion on God's part. There was no help that God needed. And yet, out of our own desires, out of, to be fair, Rebecca and Jacob's own desires, God's will is overturned. Everything that was there to provide for the ongoing support of Jacob and his household is despised. Everything that Esau was given, he despised. But then when it comes time to trying to set things right, they are now fully at odds with one another. And so Jacob, Jacob runs away, spends 14 years apart from the family. The Old Testament lesson that we have before us in today's lesson is part of his return. He comes to realize that he had, there is no place like home. And as he's on the edge of the ruby slipper, uh, edge of the Jabba River, popping together his ruby slippers, almost got that phrase right. 
Oh, it was a great one too. <laughs> the Lord appears to him. See, and then this this is the real grace to Jacob on this. Because what does it take to take hard hearts and make them hearts of flesh? What would it have taken for for Pharaoh to have for, for Pharaoh to have repented? What would it have taken any of the, the kings of Israel who were so wrapped up in their own minds and hearts that they couldn't see clearly what God was even doing around them, that they that they refused to hear the words of the prophets that came to him. What would it have taken for their hard hearts to have been turned to flesh, to be malleable by the work of the Holy Spirit so that the word of God wouldn't just bounce off like a tin ear or like a Teflon spirit. It takes the presence of God. Think about, think about Paul on the road to Damascus, so, so enraged that these heretics of Judaism are clinging to this notion that Jesus of Nazareth has risen from the dead and is now, now the acclaimed king of Israel. Blasphemy! Unless, of course, it's true that there he is, Jesus of Nazareth, at the right hand of the throne of God, exercising his kingship through the forgiveness of sins by means of word and sacrament for all people to come to know his truth. And so he goes to Damascus to try to, to round up those heretics, bring them back to Jerusalem for trial, that they might be cut down. The Lord appears to him, doesn't he? The Lord appears to him, strikes him blind, so that his outward visage would reflect the innerness of the blindness of his own heart, so that it is by baptism that he might see again. So that it is being incorporated into Christ that he might see and hear clearly that he might know who God truly is. Not a God who stops his story halfway through, but a God who fulfills his work and that his promises now, living and active in a living and Lord Jesus Christ, comes to him face to face so that he might be blinded and so that he might see. And so the grace comes to Jacob. Fearful. Jacob. He hasn't talked to Esau in 14 years. Last time he saw him, Jacob was running after him with a machete. Gotta wonder if he still got that machete sharp. And so, so he does. It's right before our text today. He, he sends over all of his camels loaded up with all of the goods that he has accumulated now these 14 years, sends them all over. He sends over all of his children in front of him. Finally, he sends over the river his wives. Yes, multiple, but we talked about that back in commandment number six. Jacob is on the shore all by himself as he sent over everything else so that Esau will have his heart softened 
by these gifts and by these children and by these poor women. Now that's leadership. That's taking your place as the head of the household there. Calling the shots from the back corner. Sending over the most Sending over the most, the weakest of all. Now, how are we going to deal with somebody like this? We're going to come to him face to face, and we're going to soften his heart the hard way. A night's worth of struggle, a night's worth of wrestling, a night's worth of prayerful pleading face-to-face -face with God and a humbling. A humbling that finally gets through to this hard-hearted deceiver, because that's what the name Jacob means. This one who has been so, so terribly corrupt is going to finally find his footing in the river with the Lord. And he's going to walk from this time on in the weakness of that limp as a reminder every single day of whose he is and what he is to be. Every gift that God had already planned for him was already laid up in store for him. Judah, the ancestor of Jesus that came from Jacob, the, the fourth born son, he was born of Jacob's first wife. Had he been content with Leah, the promise of God would have continued. Uninterrupted. No problem at all. But his discontent breeds all of that family warfare, all of those sniping, all of those brothers looking to kill each other, to sell each other off into slavery. God keeps turning those evil things into good one after another. But he calls us to recognize that those evil hearts are stirring their hearts. Paul says it this way, the good that I would do, it, I turn around all the time. Evil is right there with me. I can't ever ever seem to get away from it. Who will rescue me from this body of death, Romans 7? Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the only one. He is the one that rescues me from this body of death, so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. Paul, having already been turned and aligned now with God, this missionary to plant churches and raise up Christians and raise up church workers, who's going to give testimony to of Jesus Christ in the halls of Caesar. He recognizes that his heart, his heart is still broken until it comes to the day of resurrection. And that the only good that is there is the good that is Christ, Christ himself alone. Who can rescue me from this? The one who has already won the day. The one who is already raised from the dead. 
who is exercising his reign and rule right now from the right hand of the throne of God to forgive those sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, the righteousness that's not just on the outside, but the cleansing that provides a clean conscience. To drown envy, to drown covetousness, to drown all of those senses that I have not what I need and to be brought back to trust. To know that all that I need, God has already provided. And every gift that flows from the hand of the Lord is all that I need. When I was going up to confirmation day, we had the tradition too when I was a kid that that uh, my pastor would give me a confirmation verse to carry with me for the rest of my life. My pastor happened to be my father, which made that a little bit more complicated, perhaps, but maybe not. I wanted <laughs> Revelation one verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. Now, I realized, of course, I was talking about Jesus, not about me. I don't want this sermon to go so far off the rails. No, but I liked that verse. It was from one of John's writings. My name was John, so I wonder if John happened. The passage I got was, be content with such things as you have. <laughs> For I have promised. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now that I think about it, maybe dad had it right all along. Amen. <laughs>